This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Barbara Ramirez. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. This evening, we bring you an important informative interview with Dr. Miranda Durham, the Medical Director of the Infectious Disease Bureau at the New Mexico Department of Health. Dr. Durham shares new COVID-19 information, updates on treatments, vaccines, lung COVID, monkeypox, and more. We also bring you an amazing community calendar and amazing tunes by New Mexican artists. Starting with La Mucura by Al Hurricane, known as the godfather of New Mexican music. La mucura está en el suelo y mamá no puedo con ella. Me la llevo a la cabeza y mamá no puedo con ella. La mucura está en el suelo y mamá no puedo con ella. Me la llevo a la cabeza y mamá no puedo con ella. Dr. Miranda Durham is a family physician who currently works with the New Mexico Department of Health as the medical director of the Infectious Disease Bureau. Dr. Durham joined us in June to update us on COVID-19 and vaccinations. This evening, we are so excited to have her back on the DJ Airwaves with new information on COVID-19 treatments, cases in New Mexico, long COVID, and she also brings information on monkeypox. Now, Generation Justice Director Roberta Rael speaks with Dr. Miranda Durham. This is Roberta Rael with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking this evening with Dr. Miranda Durham, a family physician who has worked at the New Mexico Department of Health since November of 2019 as the Northwest Regional Health Officer. Dr. Durham is the planning chief for the COVID-19 vaccine and testing team. Before joining DOH, she worked with the Indian Health Services for 22 years, providing full-spectrum family services, including pediatric, prenatal, adult, and geriatric care. Welcome to Generation Justice, Dr. Durham. Thank you for having me. So nice to be here. Will you tell us just a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I well, interestingly, I actually did change jobs recently at the Department of Health. So my official title now is the medical director of the Infectious Disease Bureau, um, which and largely still means working on COVID and now some on monkeypox and then also um, other infectious diseases with a big focus on um, STDs in New Mexico. Um, and uh, other than that, just personally, I have three beautiful, wonderful children um, and um, who are all what the last one is going to college in a couple of weeks. And basically have just been working a lot in the last two, two and a half years. Thank you. So Dr. Durham, would love to spend this evening talking with you mostly about COVID-19, uh, treatment and uh, vaccines. Right now, where we're at as school is starting up, how are we doing regarding COVID-19 related to the cases and our infection rates in New Mexico? Yeah, well, you know, 
it looks like we are turning the corner right now um, and cases are, at least the trends look like they're coming down a little bit, but it's been tough since, um, you know, we had a low in cases around March and then um, we had the BA2-12-1 and really just they just started coming down from that when BA5 came in. So we've really been back to back variants with um, really high transmissibility rates and um, or high transmission. And um, and so we've had high case rates. And then, you know, the other interesting thing is with all the home testing, we don't have the exact, you know, finger on the number of cases that we had, you know, back before home testing. But, you know, overall, I think home testing is a great improvement. It really allows people to, you know, get quick results and know what steps to take. But it does leave us, you know, we were kind of spoiled at the beginning for sort of feeling like we knew every single case in the state. So, you know, it does not look like there's another clear variant coming in now, but just history has told us with this that, you know, we can't really let down our guard. Thank you. I know it's hard to talk about web pages, but I know that on the DOH site, it's changed a little bit. So if folks wanted to look at actual or as close to the rates that are reported, uh, where can people go to keep on top of that information? Yeah, so it's true on the on the website, there's sort of separate pages for tracking case data and then vaccine. On the case data, it is these little boxes that kind of tell you today's data and then some cumulative data. But if you want to look at like the last seven days or the last 30 days, there um, on that page, there are a series of reports that get updated every Tuesday. So you can click on those. It's like a geographical report and a, um, anyway, a pediatric report, a hospitalization report. And then, um, and, and that's, like excellent data from our um, epidemiology department, part of the Department of Health. Um, for kind of a quick look, um, I often go to COVID Act Now, and that you can search by New Mexico. And, you know, they have a lot of like trends of, in cases, hospitalizations, vaccination rates that do track pretty well with um, the data we're seeing. And, um, Anyway, and I like that. And then they, there's actually a feature where you can kind of compare states in, in line. So that's been, you know, there's Johns Hopkins has a good website. New York Times has a good website, but I've, I've kind of enjoyed the COVID Act now and it is well, you know, well resourced. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. How is New Mexico doing with regard to vaccines and boosters? Yeah, so... You know, it's it's definitely slow going compared to the beginning. Uh, we do keep um, vaccine giving about ten to twelve thousand vaccines a week, so it's not nothing. But you know, again, we were kind of spoiled at the beginning. Um, definitely in every age category, the number of boosters is overall low. 
Um, so, so, um, and, and I would say in our 65 and over population, people have done pretty well with getting boosters, but as the ages drop down from that, the number of people boosted has gone down. And I think it really is the feeling of many people that this, we call it a booster, that first shot after the primary series, but probably this really is a three dose primary series. So really trying to encourage people to get that third dose in, because that, you know, there's good science behind the fact that that really is protective. And again, not against necessarily against cases, we know immunity wanes, but really against the bad outcomes of COVID. Um, we also have kind of a lagging rate, you know, the most recent group that's eligible for vaccines is six months to four years old. There are a lot of challenges, you know, these kids are getting a lot of other vaccines for school and I definitely remember how unfun it can be to take your reluctant children in for vaccines, um, but it would, you know, that it, that's been really slow going and we would love to see better uptake in that. And then the next lowest group is the five to 11 years old. And these kids are all going back to school. And I think it really is important to look at getting kids that, well, everyone vaccinated, but um, to put a push on getting that group vaccinated. I think it'll really improve the school year for everyone. Thank you so much for those reminders and of the populations that are still vulnerable and not fully vaccinated or vaccinated to the um, to the percentages that we'd like to see. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of what's new in terms of treatment and um, medications for folks who do get the infection or do get infected with COVID. Yeah, um, not, I mean, we, we still have, um, the Paxlovid, which is the oral antiviral, um, so not not new new, and it does have a fair number of drug interactions. So it really is something you need to talk to. You need a prescription for, and you need to speak to your healthcare provider about, um, especially if you have kidney issues or liver issues or on a lot of other medications. On the other hand, it is very effective. Um, and there's been a lot in the media about breakthrough um, and kind of exactly you know, what that is, but people aren't getting breakthrough and doing, um, you know, landing in the hospital. They're getting breakthrough and maybe getting a return to symptoms, which is unfortunate, but still the rate of Paxlovid keeping, the effectiveness of Paxlovid to keep people out of the hospital um, really remains high. So it was high, it was about 85% in the studies and it really has lived up to that promise in, in the real world. Um, of course, if you're one of the people that gets the breakthrough, that isn't so much fun because you know, return to symptoms, sometimes even a positive test and you know, back you go into isolation. Um, I think there are lots of studies to figure out if you know, a longer course of Paxlovid is, is where we'll land. Um, but right now it's just that five days. There is another oral antiviral molnupiravir, um, which um, is less effective, prescribed less often, but is a good choice for people where they can't take the Paxlovid. And, um, and then we still do have our, um, you know, 
injection or IV medications, the monoclonal antibody febtilovimab um, and remdesivir. Nothing really, there, you know, things in the pipeline, but nothing really new, new. I think I would like to ask you to just talk a little bit more about these various treatments, if you, if you would for us, please. And I know that, you know, each individual person has their own individual health history and uh, situation, but is there some kind of a, an indicator or a chart that um, medical professionals use to help figure out which treatment is best for what type of patient? So kind of yes and no. The, the NIH has um, treatment guidelines for both inpatient and outpatient. And so they do actually have kind of a nice box of what are the first line treatments and second line. So first line is Paxlovid. Um, and, but then you have to sort through um, and Paxlovid because it's the most effective and then easiest because it doesn't require um, an injection. And then you do as a physician along with the patient have to sort through, like you're saying, the, the medical indications. Um, I think one thing in prescribing is, you know, there is that tendency when people first get symptoms, because Paxlovid, you have to prescribe in the first five days from the onset of symptoms. So there's that tendency to like, I tested and I don't feel that bad. So let me wait a few days and see if I feel worse. But if you are someone who's at a high risk for bad outcomes from COVID, which really number one is age. So, you know, there isn't a set age, but kind of start thinking about it at 50 and over and definitely at 65 and over. And then some of the medical conditions that put people at higher risk for bad outcomes. Really the recommendation is to just start that medication. Don't wait and see if it looks like it's gonna get worse. Um, but that is hard, I think, for all of us, both physicians and patients alike. So like, maybe I'll just get through this without you know, needing to take medicine. Um, you know, for younger, healthier people, which by no means means that there's no bad outcomes from COVID, but I think, you know, that group, um, you know, maybe it's fairer to, to wait and see how things are going um, and, and don't, you know, kind of assume that they'll get through COVID um, without too much trouble. Thank you. I, I did have a couple of questions and probably not fully understanding, but so Shield is, it's not just a preventative medication for COVID, but it's utilized only for a certain um, percentage of our population that is very highly immunocompromised. Yeah, so it is, it is a prevention, so it's not used in the treatment of COVID. So it is prevention, but yes, it, it is for the group um, that are immune compromised. And it's interesting with COVID, the CDC really has defined this group, both for the purpose of um, some of the vaccination schedules and for Evusheld, very narrowly. So, you know, lots of people that have diabetes have been told like your immune system may not work so well. And so kind of have in their mind like that means immune compromised. 
But this is really a very high level of immune compromise that's equivalent to having had an organ transplant, you know, where your immune system is suppressed by medication so you don't reject an organ. So it's, you know, a select group of medications that people are on often for rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, um, high levels of prednisone over a period of time, and then, you know, organ transplant and a few other um, specific diseases. So Evushel, and that group um, is thought to not respond as well to vaccine, which is why the, that extra dose is recommended for them. And also Evusheld as not as a substitution for vaccine, but just as an extra boost. So it's like kind of giving extra antibodies. Mm -hmm. Thank you for yeah. that. I know that you're on the infectious disease and of problem solving for the state of New Mexico, but I'm curious if um, there's a sense that you have that we'll start moving more into a preventative medicine model for COVID with some of these uh, treatments and or preventative medicines that are being used for certain populations. Does it seem like the future holds that we will start moving to um, have some of those preventative medicines available in a more uh, broader uh, sector of our population? So I think my answer to that is probably that the best preventive medicine, uh, which no one wants to hear this answer, but is probably the mask and the vaccine. And so that, I mean, just over and over again, kind of looking at modeling and just, yeah, masks really do work. And, um, and so do vaccines. Again, not 100% for, for avoiding cases. Um, but yes, yeah, so that 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 and the you know being smart about when you wear that mask. So you know if you're outside at a picnic, probably not really necessary. But you know as it becomes winter and we all go inside and we're in smaller rooms with each other. And again, you know the CDC does have that uh, community transmission level map where you can really put in your zip code and kind of see what's happening with COVID in your community. And so I think like trying to get used to taking that information and making decisions so that we don't feel like we always have to wear a mask, but you know, case rates are high in your community. That might be a good two, three, four weeks to be more, pull that mask out and wear it more often. Thank you so much for clarifying that and stating that. So mask wearing is, this is what I'm hearing you say, mask wearing and if you can determine the risk level for the area that you are working in or living in or going to school in, that that can be a really good indicator or decision maker about how much masking um, is necessary as a preventative measure. And so um, let's talk a little bit more about masks then. So what kind of masks? Um, I know with be with Omicron variant, um, we kind of moved away from our beautiful, uh, wonderful cloth masks. And so where are we today on this? Yeah, I think, you know, my daughter's stitched innumerable cloth masks at the beginning. And 
like you said, they're beautiful and, um, you know, they can match your clothes and they're hard to give up. But I think the science has evolved to really say the higher quality mask you can wear, the better. And so that is at least a surgical mask. And then if you can get the KN95 that really has a tight seal, that's better. So again, you know, you can pick and choose depending on the setting that you're in. Um, but if you want to be, you know, if your case rates are high and you're going to be in an indoor setting with a lot of people, I would pull out that KN95 and, and wear it. Okay. Thank you. You'll have thank to wear you for the pretty mentioning... cloth one over it. <laughs> okay. You want to double mask, yeah. you can, or you want to be fashionable, you can double mask. Right. And I really appreciate you also mentioning that the mask needs to be sealed well, because you can wear a K95, and if it's not sealed very well, it might not give as much protection as we think it does. Right. So I'd love for you to clarify also information about the boosters. And I know you've mentioned a little bit about this already as we talked about vaccines, but boosters. And then, you know, we're hearing and reading about that there is some new vaccines coming in the fall that maybe are more evolved for the newer variants that we've been having. So I'd love to have you uh, talk with us about that. Yeah, so we're actually hearing that um, the, the new boosters uh, might be here as early as mid-September. So what it's both Pfizer and Moderna are producing, and they're called a bivalent booster. So the bivalent means there's two pieces to it. One is the original vaccine, and then the second piece is they've added um, a vaccine that's a little more targeted at the Omicron variants, BA4 and BA5. So the hope is that uh, in the current environment where the last variants that we've had have all been Omicron derivatives, um, that that will provide better protection. Um, and, and again, I, I think what we're sort of looking for is even better protection against uh, cases of COVID, because what we have right now is pretty good at, at protecting us against um, the worst outcomes. And again, I probably these will not, will have that same thing. It'll boost your immunity and then it will slowly fade um, over the next six months. Um, and, but both of these boosters are going to be, um, probably available for everyone, for all adults, at least initially. And then, um, you know, probably will follow later in the fall with uh, kid boosters. Um, they, they will be, if you've already had four doses, so your primary series and then two boosters, you will still be eligible for this booster, but there will be a time frame from the last one. So right now, what we've heard is two or three months but both FDA and uh, the CDC subcommittee, the ACIP, will meet on these and, and provide those recommendations prior to us giving the vaccine. So we don't know all the details yet, but this is kind of what it's looking like. Um, so at this point, you know, there's been a question for months now, well, if I've dragged my heels about getting that second booster, what do I do now? 
And I, I think at this point, it looks like it's coming soon enough that I probably would wait at this point and just get, um, get the new booster. Um, for a lot of people less than 50, they haven't been eligible for the second booster. So they'll be in good time to, to get this new booster. Um, and these are getting released just as boosters. So if you haven't gotten your primary series, you'll go, you'll get the original Pfizer or Moderna two-shot series, and then, you know, it eventually be eligible for a booster as well. Thank but, you so much for that clarification. So these are boosters. These are not new vaccines. Right, right. Okay. And, and you will be able to mix and match these between Pfizer and Moderna because it's a booster and we've had that mix and match ability for boosters that they expect that that will be the case for this as well. Okay, thank you. You are listening to Generation Justice, broadcasting on 89.9 KUNM-FM. Tonight, we speak with Dr. Miranda Durham, Medical Director of the Infectious Disease Bureau at the New Mexico Department of Health. Now, back to Generation Justice Director and interviewer for tonight, Roberta Rael. What about the Novavax? Is that a vaccine or is that a booster? So that is a new vaccine. It's not actually that new. They've been working on it for a while and it was approved in many countries in the world and had sort of a slower rollout um, in the US with getting their um, FDA approval, but it was FDA approved. And because overall there is a pretty high vaccination rate, the US government doesn't, it seems like did not purchase a large number of um, Novavax vaccines. But there are some people that I think have been really hesitant about mRNA technology. And then, you know, the Johnson and Johnson had its issues. So, you know, for people who've been waiting for something else, this is um, a different kind of vaccine. It's a protein subunit vaccine um, where basically little spike proteins are uh, produced um, and then put together and that's what's injected into um, your body and, and then your antibodies um, respond to that. So it's a more traditional vaccine technology, basically. Um, it's a two shot series given three weeks apart. It's not widely available in New Mexico, but there are places that, um, that do have it and are giving it. Um, and probably the best general advice is that if you're interested in the Novavax to call um, our call center, which is the 1-855-600-3453, and they can help direct you to the places that, that have um, Novavax. So that it's meant to be a primary series and there's no booster approved for that yet. I think they are probably working on that. So when you say a primary series, Dr. Durham, does that mean that if you've, if, you've if you've had the Pfizer or Moderna, the mRNA vaccines and boosters, then you would not be taking the Novavax? That is correct. And the okay. only exception to that would be if you started on the mRNA and had 
a reaction that, you know, an allergic reaction, you could consider then um, go, you know, doing Novavax um, to kind of starting over with Novavax because you couldn't complete with the, um, with the mRNA. Okay. Thank you so much for that clarification. So the new boosters are boosters and not vaccinations. The only new vaccination is Novavax that is not widely available in the United States and in New Mexico um, and is used as a new vaccine not to be mixed with the mRNA vaccines that we've had for over a year. Correct. And Novavax okay. is also only approved 18 and over. Thank you for that information. Yeah, you know, you can read different articles coming through different places and Generation Justice is so committed to making sure that we are not um, utilizing any disinformation or accidentally misinforming the community. That's why this conversation with you is so important that we're really clarifying that somebody might have read an article about this new vaccine and think that it's a new vaccine for all of us and it's not that way. So thank you so much for your expertise. One interesting um, thing I'll just say about Novavax is that for people who really had concerns about vaccines and the use of fetal cells in either testing development or production, um, Novavax says that there are no fetal cells used in any phase, not in testing, in production, um, or testing. I think it got all three phases there. Um, so, so I think there is a small group where that has been a concern and this would be a good vaccine for them. That's excellent. Thank you so much for that information. Makes a lot of sense for, for some of us here in New Mexico who have heard uh, you know, relatives having that particular concern. So yeah. thank you. I'd like to just go back to maybe talking about mitigating practices again, as again, school is opening, um, UNM starts soon, CNM starts soon. Um, of course, our middle school, our, our K through 12 children have been in school for a few days. What is your message to parents and educators about mitigating practices? Yeah, I think, you know, it is interesting to think back to the very beginning of COVID and kind of our only solution was to close schools to keep people safe. And the, you know, two and a half years later, in some ways, it's easy to feel like it's the same because we're still dealing with COVID, but it really is such a different environment. So we have so many ways to protect ourselves and most of the ways that we protect ourselves protect others as well. So I think again, number one is being up to date with vaccines. I think number two, again, is wearing a mask, which also, you know, helps a lot with, you know, lots of people have had less flu and common colds and, you know, so I think in the school environment, um, it, it is a good tool. I know it's hard for little kids to, to wear a mask, but, um, but again, if you're looking at community case rates going up, that might be something that a school would think about implementing or a teacher certainly could um, in, in order to protect him or herself. Um, 
I think the general hygiene practices, you know, good hand washing. Um, and then testing is also widely available. Um, and the antigen tests aren't perfect, but I think for people who, but you know, you can do one and then do another one. If you're, if you're symptomatic, do another one in 24 to 48 hours. Um, and you can do it in the comfort of your home. It gives you the information you need right away. And I think that is another really powerful tool. And then kind of common sense that back to like, if you don't feel well, um, you know, we should all be better about staying home, respecting our coworkers, um, kind of giving up that like, I can push through these symptoms. I'm going to go to work and do it anyway. I mean, it's the time to work remotely, do your test. If it tests negative, but you're still symptomatic, test again. Be careful about masking if you've been exposed to someone so that you know, you're not going to work and you know, potentially exposing others. So I think, um, I think we do have a lot of tools um, that can make living and working together more doable, even though we still have COVID around. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate that. It's pretty amazing to think about all that the Infectious Disease Bureau holds um, and probably has always held, but you know, in this time of uh, the COVID global pandemic, um, it's just kind of interesting to think about that particular bureau that you're the medical director of and everything that um, is coming through and, and that this bureau is holding. Well, I do want to say that, you know, it's really both of these efforts have been really DOH wide. So many bureaus involved and, you know, infectious disease is, yeah, kind of um, it, the name sort of implies that kind of we're the center of it, but we have our epidemiology and response division that really tracks all this data and really helps us inform operations. And then our public health division, which is the job I had previously, but that has, you know, a lot of the kind of boots on the ground clinical teams to both see patients and provide vaccines. So it's been, I, I mean, I have to say as an introduction to the Department of Health, just an amazing experience to be able to work really across um, all the bureaus. I mean, we also have our, our emergency response that helps run our call center. We've had poison control health. I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, all the people involved in the response to, you know, both of these outbreaks. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in the state. And yes, just recognizing that it's the entire Department of Health. And, uh, but all of those dots being connected within the department have been so critical in these last um, two and a half years. And I'll just go on to say all the incredible partners we've had across the state. I mean, just being involved in every way. I mean, you guys included just getting messages out to communities, um, you know, CHWs that have worked with us, uh, obviously hospitals and clinics and emergency managers and fire chiefs. And I mean, it, it just, it goes on and on. It really has been kind of a, a Team New Mexico effort. Dr. Durham, I'd like to ask you, um, what 
what do we know now about long COVID? I know that there's research going on and I, although we are so exhausted from the COVID-19 global pandemic, and it feels like it has been forever for some of us, the reality is in the life of a virus, it's actually not that long of time that we've been dealing with this virus. And so I know that there's still a lot more for all of us to learn. And I'd love to give you the opportunity to just share with us a little bit about what we now know about long COVID. Yeah, I mean, it is an area we really need to learn a lot more about. Um, so CDC did do a, a kind of review and look at long COVID and really found that as many as one in five adults do have something that goes on beyond the, you know, expected month, let's say, of COVID um, symptoms. And that, and they actually use the term post-COVID conditions, which I kind of like because I think it gives the sense that it can be so many different things. So for some people, it is that fatigue and just feeling like they can't get back to themselves. You know, For some people, it's that loss of taste and smell that takes a long time to come back. And for some people, it's actually developing new medical issues. Like, you know, there's a thought, it looks like there's maybe a higher chance of developing diabetes after having COVID. And then there's some really serious cardiac outcome, you know, cardiac post-COVID um, cardiac uh, problems. So, so it's very uh, just a wide range. Um, and then, you know, I think there for some people, it's there are mental health consequences of um, having had COVID. So, um, so it probably won't end up being one thing. Um, I think on the positive side, um, I did see a study that kind of tracked the kind of uh, this whole group of symptoms and did show that at 12 weeks, you know, sort of every state, every week that goes by, more people do recover. So there are some people even at 12 weeks that aren't recovered. But, you know, if you're someone that doesn't feel right back to themselves, you know, two weeks after COVID or three weeks after COVID, you know, there is hope that each week um, you, there is a chance that you kind of do find that recovery and get back to yourself. Um, there is a big NIH study going on and UNM actually does have a couple, it's also a multifaceted study, but UNM does um, have uh, is an active participant in those studies. And there's a website called Recover, which is the name of the NIH study. So you can um, look at um, you know, sites across the country that are participating. Um, and, uh, and UNM is also, they do have a long COVID echo for providers, because I think all of us need, you know, this is new for everyone, patients and physicians. Um, there is an ICD-10 code. So those are the codes that you get attached to a diagnosis um, for long COVID. So I think that is a way that um, also some studies are done by looking through EHR data and pulling that ICD-10 code. 
Um, and then it also does qualify as a disability um, under the American with Disabilities Act. So, you know, it is something to be taken seriously. Um, there is help for people who um, are suffering from long COVID and more, a lot more to learn. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping us understand a little bit more and some of the research that's going on. And good to know that there's uh, that you, New Mexico or UNM is in, involved in some of that research. And um, thank you for guiding folks on where to go if they want to learn more. So really appreciate that. So CDC has started a, a long COVID page, um, which one of the things I like about it is it does have resources um, on that page, there are a few online groups that really have a huge number of people and a lot of resources. A lot of them do advocacy um, to get money towards research. So it is, it's interesting, um, but probably a good place to look if you're looking for community around long COVID. Thank you so much. Appreciate all of that information. So we, I'd love to talk with you as the medical director of the Infectious Disease Bureau for the Department of Health. I'd love to talk with you just a little bit too about monkeypox and anything at all that you wish to share about the it in New Mexico, as well as any of our listeners who maybe are wondering how they get the vaccine, what needs to be done. So anything at all that you can share with us about monkeypox? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, monkeypox is not nearly as transmissible or as common as COVID. So I think, um, you know, for general being out and about at the store shopping, you're not going to get um, monkeypox through that kind of sort of casual everyday living, but you can get COVID that way. <laughs> so, um, so it's kind of keeping some perspective. It also, I mean, monkeypox can cause really painful, uncomfortable situations. So we do wanna take it seriously, but it doesn't appear in this current outbreak across the US to have the kind of mortality rate that COVID did. So I think that also um, is, is reassuring. Still no one wants to get it, but, um, but it, it by and large will resolve um, even, even if you don't intervene. Um, but we do have two tools to help, you know, help the situation. One is vaccine. And one is some limited antiviral medication that is um, directed at monkeypox. So on the vaccine, which is more relevant for more people, um, we do have, and, and I'm sure as you've read in the news, there's overall uh, limited doses, but we do have some in New Mexico and we are interested in giving them to people, you know, especially people are, who are at higher risk for getting monkeypox. And um, the way you register for vaccine is to call our same DOH hotline. Um, and again, that is the 855-600-3453 number. Um, if you pick option four, that will take you to the monkeypox group. And always on that hotline, option nine will get you a Spanish speaker. So whether it's COVID or monkeypox, you want to talk about option nine in Spanish. Um, 
if when you call and say you're interested in monkeypox vaccine, you will be run through a series of questions um, just to screen out anyone who might be ill with monkeypox in the moment, in which case they'll be referred for testing and otherwise um, they'll help get people uh, scheduled for a vaccine. And if there isn't a vaccine event set up, you'll be put on the list and notified when vaccine becomes available. So we're really encouraging, and that's the Geneos vaccine. Um, there are two out there. One of them um, is the ACAM 2000, and that one has a lot, a lot of side effects. The Geneos, the one we have, is much easier to tolerate. Um, so, you know, we've given probably a thousand doses in New Mexico, and um, it seems like the vaccine is pretty well tolerated. And then on the medications, I mean, that uh, that's for a more, that's if you've actually got um, monkeypox. But again, if you're someone who thinks you might have monkeypox, you can also reach out to the call center um, if you don't have a primary care doctor to talk to about it and just kind of go over your risk factors and symptoms and, um, and you know, their nurses on that line and they can help refer you to testing. And then if you test positive for treatment. Dr. Durham, is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, I just appreciate your guys' interest because as you pointed out, people are tired, but I still think it is it is not going away and it is important for all of us to stay informed and to, you know, keep doing the things we can to stay safe and keep our family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers safe. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so very much, Dr. Durham. Uh, we've been speaking with Dr. Miranda Durham, who is the medical director with the Infectious Disease Bureau of the Department of Health of New Mexico. Thank you for being with us this evening and thank you for all of your work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Miranda Durham, for sharing this essential information on COVID-19 treatments and medications and for speaking about monkeypox. I did not know about Novavax and who was eligible to get it. And speaking of Novavax, since our conversation with Dr. Durham, the Food and Drug Administration has expanded the emergency use authorization on Novavax to include adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17. The vaccine was previously subject to an emergency use authorization for adults over the age of 18, but now if you are between the ages of 12 and 17, you can get Novavax too. To get up to date with your vaccination, visit vaccinenm.org and make your appointment today. Now we bring you the song The Way the Wind Blows by A. Hawk and Hacksaw, an instrumental song by New Mexico's very own drummer, Jeremy Barnes, and violinist, Heather Trust. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of health and information. 
We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Miranda Durham and the New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Rael and myself, Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Sunandita Santanam and Madumita Santanam. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We are also active on social media, so find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Conalma Health Foundation, NMDOH Better Together, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I am Barbara Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Stay safe, New Mexico. Hasta pronto.